You're listening to Muscles to the Masses, the podcast. We're covering muscles, of course, all kinds of movement, recovery, and fitness. I'm your host, Julie Reed. I'll bring information you can trust from maybe new to you sources. Today, I'm chatting with, well, it's me. I thought it would be nice to introduce myself now that we're on episode 14. I'm going to read out both questions that I'm frequently asked as well as listener questions I received on my Instagram poll on my Instagram page at It's Julie Reed. How did you get involved in strength training? This is a long answer. Since I was a little kid, I've been involved in athletics. I started gymnastics on a club team when I was six or so and competed until I was a sophomore in high school uh, when I quit after two years as a high school gymnast. Uh, Growing up in sports was important to our family, and it was a big part of my life as gymnastics was 16 hours per week. I remember loving Tuesdays because it was the night where I didn't have to go to gymnastics practice. Uh, When I got into middle school, I had a teacher uh, who suggested I try out for the track and field team. He thought I might be good at the shot put, and he was wrong. I am terrible at shot put, uh, but it did start my time uh, as a track and field athlete. In high school, I competed in both the shot put and discus. Um, And then when I went to college, I wanted to be a regular college kid. I didn't want to participate in any athletics. Uh, But since I couldn't be away from movement for too long, I ended up taking up running. And I did a lot of elliptical at the university gym. Um, And I ended up running a marathon, uh, the only one I've ever run, during my sophomore year. Uh, Soon after that, I happened to be at an activities event and met Angie Taylor. She was then the head coach of the women's track and field team for George Mason. And she somehow convinced me to talk to Becky Hartley, who was the throws coach, uh, even though I had taken two years off and I'd be a walk-on. And a little while later, I walked onto the Mason track and field team and threw the hammer my last two years uh, in college. I was introduced to the weight room actually in high school though, but we did mostly powerlifting style strength training. Uh, But it was at Mason that I learned to love lifting. It's where I learned how to do Olympic lifting where we focus primarily on the clean and jerk. When I left Mason, I moved to Philly and started working at a financial firm where I met my friend Perrin Bear. And since we both had to be at work at 7 a.m., because the gym was usually packed after work, we would get up at 4.30 be at the gym by five and get in our workouts before the start of the day and before the the early morning rush. Um, It didn't start out like that, but at the time we kept thinking that our workouts needed to be longer and longer. We just needed more time in the gym. And so every so often we inched up our start time until we were there at five o'clock in the morning. Um, That's really funny to think about now because that would be very, very challenging for me. We were both actually looking for something new and exciting, and we had both been very athletic our whole lives, and this whole 5 a.m. gym workout wasn't cutting it for us. And it was around that time parents started to talk about CrossFit, and my cousin Michelle Fernandez was also whispering in my ear that I should try it. I was very, very skeptical because I kept hearing things like, oh, it's great, but I'm dead at the end, or I can't sit down on the toilet today, or we had to do 500 of name any exercise. Doesn't that sound really terrible? Um, But eventually they wore me down and I joined a local CrossFit gym. Um, And I actually, I truly, I have to thank both of them because it really reignited my love of lifting. I was reintroduced to Olympic style weightlifting 
um, which is the clean and jerk and the snatch, as well as CrossFit filled my need for a sense of competition, uh, not just in myself, but also with others. Um, I, I really thought leaving school that I, I didn't want that, but CrossFit has a way of creating motivation from that sense of competition. I know that CrossFit can get a little bit of slack for that, but it really, it inspired something in me. And it was the first time that I actually started to track and care about my workouts. For my entire life, I can always remember dealing with soft tissue injuries. I had tendonitis as a young gymnast and then a right anterior hip issue. And then when I was in college, I was dealing with some right knee pain. And it was at Mason that I was introduced to a massage therapist who helped me with that knee pain. So once I graduated from college, I found a massage therapist here in Philly and I started to work with her. And one night when dealing with some knee and hip stuff, I think I was running at the time um, and I was maybe just finding CrossFit, I ended up talking with her about being a massage therapist. And she said that it was the best thing that she's ever done. And not kidding, two weeks later, I was enrolled in massage school. Uh, <laughs> I laugh at that now, uh, but I'm usually a quick to act person. So it's very on brand for me. Uh, close to the end of school, I ended up naively quitting my full-time job very early before I even graduated, in fact. And I had been hanging around my CrossFit gym and an opportunity to coach came up. So I got my CrossFit level one and I started coaching CrossFit. And then later that summer, I became a licensed massage therapist and started to work also as a massage therapist. Um, so that's kind of how I got to, that's like the beginning of my story into strength training and massage therapy. Since I've been a massage therapist, my work has evolved a lot as a therapist and in my coaching business. From CrossFit, I ended up meeting a local dragon boat team. Um, called the Google Dragons, and I became their strength and conditioning coach, uh, which just which would mean that I would write and manage their off-season strength training. And from that, I ended up being able to grow my one-on-one personal training business. From that, as well as from other referrals, I think I used a couple of online tools. I think Thumbtack was pretty popular at the time. I got a client from there, and then my business just grew as I started to meet more people in the industry and in the area. And then since then, I've worked at several gyms in the area and now spend almost all of my time at KG Strong in South Philadelphia, which is run by Katie Gold. Movement has always been a part of my life, so it seemed like a natural jump to make it the entirety of my life. And that is how I got into strength training. How has your movement philosophy changed over the years? Big question. When I first started, I thought I was going to fix everybody. And I cringe at that now because that is nowhere near my job description. Starting to work in CrossFit, there was a huge push for increased mobility by gaining flexibility and joint mobility with soft tissue techniques, distractions, and other methods that use force. And I will, I will say that that introduction pushed me a little bit to go into massage school. I thought the two paired very well together, massage and personal training. Um, I, I will not say that I am qualified to tell somebody to do all of, to do any of those joint mobility exercises. I'm definitely not. That's a physical therapist's job. And over the years from personal experience, I've actually seen that type of work applied incorrectly and be quite damaging. Uh, as a young trainer, and I actually think I am still a very young trainer. I've only been doing this for five years. Um, 
But back then I felt like I had something to prove. And so I was, I was trying to do that. Uh, now though, I do what my job is. I just help get people stronger and I help them become more conditioned. I believe that movement is medicine and that the way to increase range of motion is to move in ranges that you have now so much that you can move in ranges that you can't now. So by moving, we are training our body to be able to move more. Um, there are ways to increase range of motion slowly, and I do use those, uh, but they're active. There are things like inching your way lower on box squats. Can you get one inch lower today with the same load as last cycle? Can you deadlift the kettlebell from a block closer to the ground today? These are all things that are generally movement pattern problems and not necessarily mobility problems, at least in the context that I'm speaking of them. And so for the general population, practice is often the answer to the mobility problem. And it's, the answer is not necessarily more soft tissue work or more foam rolling or more mobility. In fact, I use soft tissue work probably the least out of many people I know. And that might come as a surprise to say, but I am, I'm definitely of the mindset now, do the minimum amount of soft tissue work possible. Um, I think we could waste a lot of time doing it. And so I don't have a ton of clients on the foam roller and I I honestly don't use the foam roller frequently on myself. I have been playing around with breathing for increased mobility and short 10 to 30 seconds of pressure using a tool, a lacrosse ball or a foam roller, uh, or somebody's hand if they're trained in touch, um, followed by a loaded movement. Those things have been really helpful in my own workouts as well as some of my clients. I should note that my goal for this type of work is to get into a position where my body feels stacked. In other words, my joints don't feel like they're working harder than they need to. And so my goal is never to simply gain more range. It's to make my existing movement feel smoother. I want my muscles to fire and work a little bit more efficiently. And my goal is not to push myself into a position or force myself into a position that my body isn't ready to load. Then I've also been super interested in learning more about functional range conditioning, uh, often called FRC. Um, I've done a little bit of work with my clients and myself using some of the methods that I've seen from that system. And I've seen really great results. Um, things like less of a hip crunch in the bottom of our squat and making overhead work a little bit more smooth. So my philosophy now is, is very different than when I started. It's move in ranges that feel good and are safe and then add load. And then when that feels good and you're able to add more load. So really strength training. That's my, <laughs> that's my, that's my philosophy now. Okay. Next question. What do you do for assessments? My assessment system has changed over the past five, I get, yeah, five-ish years as well. Early on, I was really worried I was going to miss something, that I needed to record everything, that I needed to look at every movement pattern and test everything. And I will say there is a time and a place for a more thorough assessment. Is somebody coming to me from a place of chronic pain? What causes that chronic pain? You got to know that. Have they had a history of previous pain or previous experiences, or are they training for a specific event? My assessment is going to change based on what I learned in the intake. But primarily with my general fitness clients, to assess them, I put them through a workout. And this is actually something that I have done super recently where their assessment day one is a workout. I have general idea of what I want to do and I'll go over that, but it's, I want them to be moving. And so we move. Can you squat? Can you hip hinge? Do your arms go overhead without getting into your low back? 
Can you move your limbs independently from one another? How about your arms separate from your legs? Can you move the right side of your body separate from the left side of your body? Can you balance on one leg? Those are all things that I'm looking at that I can get information during a regular workout that I've written. Uh, I prefer to put them through a workout that incorporates bilateral movement first. Then I see what their core is doing. Then I'll have them do some unilateral work, maybe in the second session, maybe at the end of the first session, and then we'll see if they can balance. And they're coming to me to get stronger and to become more conditioned. So it's nice when that first session, you give them something like that, like what they're expecting to see. And sometimes if they want something a little bit breathy, we'll throw in a finisher at the end, something that throughout the first part of the workout, I know that they'll be able to handle. And it might, it might be bike sprints, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. Uh, or it might be something a little bit more interesting um, in the sense of movement patterns like a kettlebell swing if they've had some previous experience before. My, their ultimate goal is to move, and generally speaking, when somebody comes to see me, and so I, I have them move. They go and do a workout, and I'm constantly assessing their movement. It's an iterative process for me. If they can squat, let's see what happens when they load it. Is there a change? What happens when we load the deadlift? Do things change? Can they, can they hip hinge? Can they send their hips back as their shoulders go forward with a, with a straight spine or a neutral spine? If yes, uh, let's go back and try again with a different loading pattern. Single kettlebell, double kettlebell, barbell. My formal assessments look at those things as well. And I have done more specific assessments, but that again is generally if somebody is coming to me asking for it, for a specific reason, or I see we need to do it after the first session. I, I think there's a lot of pressure to assess, especially in the first session, but I think that there is a lot of time to gather information if you're working with somebody, not just, for example, for three sessions. Um, if somebody's only coming to me for three sessions, I'm putting them through three strength training workouts where they get a variety of movement patterns and a lot of experience lifting with somebody watching them and giving them feedback. If somebody is coming to me and they have some issues that are outside of my scope of practice, meaning they're in constant pain, they've had an injury, we talk about what that means in the gym. Can we work around it without creating extra pain? And also let's, let's go talk to a physical therapist because I'm not in the business of fixing what's going on in your body. All right. What do you do for soft tissue work and what does your massage practice look like? I talked a little bit about how I approach soft tissue work earlier, very minimally. <laughs> I put pressure on the tissue and then I sometimes do an active stretch and then I'll do a loaded movement that incorporates that muscle. To explain an active stretch, um, an active stretch is a stretch that uses opposing muscle groups to pull the targeted muscle into a stretch. So for example, the hamstrings on the back of the leg attach the ischial tuberosity, which are, which are your sits bones, those things that get sore when you're sitting on bleachers, as well as the tibia and fibula below the knee, so the two bones of your shin. The antagonist muscle group, and just a little bit of a digression, an antagonist muscle is one that has, for lack of a better word, opposite action, one that must relax when the targeted muscle contracts and vice versa. So the, the antagonist muscle group for the hamstrings is the quadriceps. Quads primarily extend the knee, and you can think about kicking a soccer ball. And I will say, with the, with the exception of the rectus femoris, which also flexes the hips. So the quads primarily extend the knee, and the hamstrings flex the knee. You can think of the hamstrings flexing the knee as kicking your butt with your heel. 
So to actively stretch the quads, one way to do that would be to intentionally bring your heel to your butt and pull yourself into a quad stretch. That's going to cause the front of your leg to relax as you contract the back of your legs. So I'll do that when I get into my warm up sets. So just a refresher because I did a lot of a lot of extra talking there. Put pressure on my quad with a lacrosse ball. Sometimes I'll use a foam roller. Then I'll do that active stretch where I will pull my heel to my butt. And something that you can Google if you're looking for what I mean by that is you can look, it's called a couch stretch and it's a little bit aggressive. So, and there are ways to pregress it. So what you would want to do is just make sure in that position that you would be contracting, actively contracting your hamstring, actively pulling your heel to your butt. And that's going to relax your quads. And then I'll get into my squats or whatever movement that I'm using my quads. Maybe it, maybe it's lunges, maybe it's step ups. Um, my goal with doing this is to have more time to move. It's quick, it's effective, and it makes my body feel more prepared to do what I came to the gym to do, which is to lift. Sometimes I'll incorporate different massage techniques into the above system. Um, that system being soft tissue work slash pressure, stretching and loading. And I do want to call out that I didn't create this process. I read first about how this is the most effective way to lasting soft tissue change on the Barbell Physios website. And since then, I've seen it in, in many places. So some other techniques that I use in the gym are reciprocal inhibition, which is what's going on when one side of the joint relaxes to allow for movement on the other side of the joint. So again, re referencing that quad hamstring example earlier, contracting the quads will relax the hamstrings in a non-pathological individual. And then I also do some stretching techniques like pin and lengthen. Um, pin and lengthen incorporates pinning the muscle with your hand or implement and then moving it through a stretch. And sometimes I combine a bunch of those things into one exercise. I do that a lot on my tibialis anterior. I, I just put up a video on Instagram if you're looking for that. I really like working on my tibialis anterior. That's the front part of your shin before I squat. It really makes me feel like I can stand upright or, or sit, squat down upright. And, and actually what I would recommend is to do, do some of these things on one side of your body and then do a bilateral movement and see if you can feel the difference right to left. That'll really give you a clue as to, is this helping my body or is this making me feel like I can get into a position better? or maybe it's not. And then if it's not, don't do it. Uh, I use these techniques on myself as well as with my clients. And even when I'm working with my clients, I have them load the movement. Um, the soft tissue techniques allow for a window of opportunity so that when you load the movement and you work through either a greater range of motion or a more smooth range of motion, your body is able to, to hold on to that change for a longer period of time. You want to take advantage of that and find those new ranges that allow for better positioning, a more stacked structure, a less bound and more smooth movement. So that's why you see a lot of people foam rolling at the beginning. Yes, it's a nice way to get into the gym. You're, you come in, you're not ready to move, you lay down on the ground. But the reason that people do it at the beginning or, or the reason that it's effective in the beginning is that you are telling your body, okay, pay attention to my quad and you can let it relax a little bit and then also let's go load the movement. And that is, the load of movement is actually the key piece to that change that you, you facilitated in the soft tissue work. So with my, with my clients, I'm actually practicing clothes massage now. 
so my clients come in loose fitting shorts and a tank uh, as long as they're comfortable. And I'm working with them in the gym with other members around uh, so that they can change positions easily on the table. They can get up and up and off of the table more easily. I actually like to test out the techniques that I'm using with them to see if they're working. So I'll have them when they initially come in rate their pain or discomfort on a scale of one to 10. We'll do some stuff. And, and if they need to do movement to reproduce that pain, they're able to do that because they're wearing clothes. And so then I will perform some bodywork techniques and then we'll retest. Did what I do help? If so, they've jumped two or three levels, then we'll move on to something else. And, or if the time commit, if I've been working for at least 15 minutes on one muscle, it's just time to move on. Um, and if I, if it didn't help, and if it's a guess, I'll have them, I'll, I'll switch it up and I'll try something different. Uh, being able to get on and off the table has been really essential in the way that I'm practicing body work now. Next question, muscles to the masses. At what point did I realize they were just the beginning and what is next for them? Well, I'm not sure that I ever really had that thought. I don't, when I started Muscles to the Masses, I was doing it for me. I was a couple years out of massage school and forgetting my anatomy. So I ended up drawing a pencil, pencil sketch of the trap and I wrote out the attachment points, the actions and anything fun I knew about it. I ended up posting it on Instagram and went on about my day. A few people were interested in it and I still had more studying to do, so I kept drawing different muscles. And, they, you know, they, they've evolved over time. They started out, I did one as pencil, then I did one as pen, and then I got a little bit more advanced in my drawing skills, if I do say so. And they became a little bit, you could see a little bit more striation in the muscles instead of them looking very one-dimensional. And then people started asking if I sold them. And that's eventually how I came to sell them as prints, totes, and mugs. It, it was not that linear of a timeline, but you get the idea of how it could evolve. It, I mean, it took about three years from the time I started drawing them to the site that I have now. Uh, the podcast actually didn't come about because I wanted to expand muscles to the masses. I actually wanted to hear from a greater, a greater range of people in the fitness industry. I'd been, I had been consuming a lot of fitness podcasts and the ones that I was listening to were all men. And I'm not talking most of the guests. So when I went back and looked all of the guests, I'm thinking of one particular podcast I had been listening to, they were all men. And I wanted an authority who wasn't, who wasn't a guy. I wanted, I didn't want all of my information to come from the same place. And so I created this podcast. It went through a few iterations of names and I have to give credit to Aaron Brown, who I had a call with. And she said, why don't you just name it Muscles to the Masses? And so I hadn't thought of that before because I was very specifically the Muscles to the Masses were the drawings instead of potentially expanding. I actually also have to give her credit because I had been talking about this podcast for a year, a year and a half, maybe two years before I actually started it. And she really pushed me to stick to my word and create it. And um, I was actually originally going to call it the strength podcast because oddly that didn't exist at the time. And, and now it's named muscles of the masses for the future. A lot of people keep asking me for a collected works, uh, a book of the drawings. I am hopeful and working on creating that. I don't have a deadline. There's a lot of variables, so stick with me. <laughs> um, it is a goal of mine. What are your top three podcasts? All right. I really like listening to the daily ear hustle. Hidden Brain, Sex with Emily, 
And I just finished the second season of In the Dark. Um, it is a journalism podcast. It's good journalism, but it will get your blood boiling because it talks about the life of Curtis Flowers, who is a black man that was tried six times for the same crime and a DA who is set to execute him. Um, it will make you angry. If you could eat three things for the rest of your life, what would those be? Pizza, burgers, Cobb salad. All right, so we're at the end. I ask all of my guests the lightning round questions and I thought that I should answer them as well. Um, so what is the most memorable thing I've ever eaten? Pesto chicken. In college, I went on a five-week study abroad program where I lived in, I lived with an Italian host family. Each night for dinner, the host mom would make a pasta and an entree. And one night she made what I call pesto chicken thighs. And it was delicious. Probably not the most delicious thing I've ever eaten, but it was so memorable because it was so hearty and exactly what I needed at the time. And I will never, I will never forget it. What are the big three people books podcasts that have been influential to you? I have more than three. Bear with me here. Um, the first one is a combination of media. I, I watched 13th documentary that discusses mass incarceration and slavery in the United States. And the podcast that I mentioned earlier, Ear Hustle, which is co-hosted by Erlon Woods, who was incarcerated at San Quentin State Prison, and Nigel Poor, talks about life in San Quentin. And it's those two pieces of work that have really, they've heavily impacted me and inspired me to volunteer in the prison system. Book, Mindset by Carol Dweck. It was the first book to really make me think about my mindset and how much of a disservice I was doing having what I learned in this book was, was a fixed mindset. And a fixed mindset is when you think that you have a set ability and intelligence level, whereas the opposite of that is a growth mindset, which means that you have, that you can develop abilities and that you can develop intelligence through working really hard. I realized after reading that book that I didn't have a knowledge problem, I had a perception problem and actually a, a work effort problem. Reading that book sent me down a rabbit hole of self-development for many years. And I would say that I'm probably still there. I love learning about self-development and what, what's going on inside my brain um, and my heart uh, and my soul. <laughs> uh, for the first time in my life, though, I was able to realize that I wasn't quote unquote smart, that that label that was put upon me years earlier was actually hindering my ability to learn things now. And that was mind blowing. My current therapist has been very influential to me and I, they have helped me recognize and address my anxiety in ways that I didn't think were possible. Uh, when I was thinking about this question though, I had the idea that a therapist shouldn't be influential, that they should be objective, but it's actually that, it, it, that's exactly why they have been so great. They've given me the space to figure things out at a time when I needed non-judgmental, non-shame inducing space. And then lastly, um, a woman named Sally Hogshead. She's a marketer and she works in advertising and she's created a test on how to fascinate. That doesn't tell you much. Her, th her thing is do more things that are your natural strengths and you'll maintain your energy and be naturally fascinating to others. Uh, listening to her and taking her test and reading about what my natural strengths are started to help me value what those things are and what brings me energy instead of valuing things that take energy from me even if those are the things that are valued by others or, or that are outwardly valued by others. So I was able to 
really recognize what I'm naturally good at and do more of those things, really lean into those things, strengthen my strengths instead of trying to strengthen my weaknesses. Because when you strengthen your weaknesses, it just sucks the energy from me. And so I was able to really address and build some of my natural strengths. All right, last question. If someone came to earth from another planet, what is one thing you'd tell them? I feel like I've been very long-winded this whole podcast. And it's probably because I'm the only one doing the talking and normally I do a very little bit of talking. But this, I have one thing to say here and it might, it might be my life philosophy. Have more curiosity than assumption. That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to Muscles to the Masses, the podcast. If you'd like to support the show, leave us a review on iTunes, tell a friend, or buy a butt bag at muscles to the masses.com.